category five. What you going do? Better run for shelter because it's all about the you. Hey, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. It's been a minute. I know you've seen Carlos Ledo on there. We haven't seen him since Cinco de Mayo. Uh, Carlos, thanks for uh, coming off the, uh, I don't want to call it the DL, but the uh, the vacation list. So that that might be uh, not a coincidence, but not a coincidence that I haven't been on since Cinco de Mayo. It was uh, it was a rough one. No, just <laughs> I, I treat Cinco de Mayo with great care after uh, having an episode 20 years ago where, um, long story short, I ended up on a friend's couch with a Mexican hat on, a, shack, a shot glass on a string around my neck, and Lots of dried vomit on my shirt. So I am I am not partaking in Cinco de Mayo anymore. Yeah, I hadn't done a show since uh, June 22nd with Frank Tucker uh, from uh, Kane's Country Rivals website for Miami. We were talking about recruiting then because Miami was sort of busy hosting all these these big time kids in the month of June on official visits. Uh, the recruiting class wasn't doing that great then, but it's picked up a lot of speed of late. And I know you and I don't talk a ton of recruiting. But I got to acknowledge it because this is my first podcast since June 22nd. Yeah, absolutely. But we are we are going to pick up the pace, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to be at the ACC kickoff uh, media event next week in Charlotte, so I have plenty to, to come back and talk to you about. But as far as – going to start getting limber, baby. The season's, uh, the season's on the horizon. Got to get a little limber. Practice is on Tuesday, August 1st. That's when they get rolling, brother. So we're going to have lots to talk about here as the summer uh, wears off. But – Look, Miami's recruiting's got a lot better uh, since we got into July. Uh, Miami picked up five-star wide receiver JoJo Trader recently, uh, top 100 edge rusher Marquise Lightfoot out of the Chicago area, and uh, a four-star D tackle in Artavius Jones out of Bluntstown, Florida. Bluntstown, of course, up in the uh, Panhandle-type area, closer to FSU uh, than Miami, one of FSU. Uh, good recruit in their backyard uh, that Miami was able to go get. He's a, he's a big kid, 6'4", 305. I know how much you love D tackles and how important that has been to Miami's past. But yeah, they got and, and, and from what I've heard, the kid is extremely athletic. He plays basketball too. He's lined up at receiver. He's done a bunch of stuff. Uh, you know, I've, I've read some stuff on on him on 24-7. Shout out to Gabby and David Lake. They do a great job as well over there keeping me informed whenever I have time to come up uh, and submerge from all the stuff I'm doing this summer. You know, it's been it's been a mix of work and uh, enjoying the summer. So I've kind of been like Hannah Montana, enjoying the best of both worlds. But I'm back, baby. <laughs> We're back. That's right. Um, so, yeah, look, I mean, they're up to 14th in the country now in, in those team rankings. They've got 18 commitments. Uh, the big one for me was Jojo Trader. I we we had talked about the wide receiver position. Mm -hmm. I like the kids that they brought in last class. Uh, Jojo, uh, I mean uh, Jojo Trader is is on another level compared to those guys. I mean Robbie Washington is is a good receiver. Nathaniel Joseph, very good receiver. I think Nathaniel Joseph's got a little bit of that Santana Moss in him. But Jojo Trader is a true number one guy. In fact, I honestly think of the two positions, I love him even more at cornerback. He's the kind of guy to me who could be a first round pick at corner. He's such a good, he's just so good. His ball skills are so good reading passes, knowing how to make adjustments and then to make the catch. I don't see, I've never seen him really drop a pass. Uh, this kid is just ridiculously talented. Uh, 6'1", 175. Okay. He's not 6'4", uh, 220, but he, he's certainly, uh, 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 to me, at the wide receiver position today, he's fast. He's a playmaker. He's very, very good. And to me, that was, probably the most important pickup so far of the Mario Cristobal era because it's a receiver in his backyard. And Carlos, yeah. you know how many talented guys have left South Florida at that receiver position. Yeah, and they really haven't had a guy that can go up and consistently make con contested catches and track balls down um, since maybe Amon Richards, really, right? Mm -hmm. um, they, they've had guys in here who can flash, who have shown the ability to do it here and there, but then they can't make the simple plays. 
kind of like Jacoby George, you know, Romello Brinson had his, his moments where he flashed here and there before he left. But now I, I think this kind of a recruit um, not only helps because of the talent, but I think it helps because it shows that Miami can go out and get a frontline guy at the receiver position under Mario Cristobal, which had been a question uh, for some time since Mario came on board where they've missed on a bunch of guys. And then hopefully this leads to additional guys coming on board. You know, I mean, he's, he's got a great connection to the uh, Miami Gardens Ravens, played with a lot of great, talented guys, has a really talented teammate with him, uh, and Jeremiah Smith, that maybe he could bring over as well, decommit from Ohio State and bring over to Miami. Maybe some other guys from that team that, that are highly talented that play other places can come over as well. At the very least, it gives them some cachet to say, listen, we're getting frontline guys in our backyard at positions where we have not traditionally recruited well here over the last 10, 12 years, and, and we're changing that sort of narrative. And if you look at the the roster, how it's coming together between this past recruiting class and the one they're putting together now, if you project three, four years down the road, you're looking at a very talented, versatile offensive uh, football team, very versatile defensive football team. Um, there's still holes in the, on the roster today, but at least they're building something out and building a more talented roster down the road if the kids stay. That's right. Yeah, if they stick and 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 if Miami has a good season, they've got to me they got to win eight games, uh, at least eight games this year to to probably you know keep the majority of this recruiting class together. Sometimes kids flip for whatever reason. Uh, in the end, you want to keep this class somewhere in the top fifteen uh, in terms of talent, you know, accumulation. Obviously, the transfer portal is always big in the off season, and and you know what. Since the last time we talked, Miami's added some guys to the yeah, they roster. Went on a shopping spree. They went on a little bit of a, a post-spring shopping spree, picking some guys up. Today, though, the news was that one of the guys that had been on the roster, a four-star cornerback, Chris Graves, out of the Fort Myers area, he's actually the first uh, player to enter the transfer portal since the end of the spring for Miami. So, you know, you're going to have some departures um, because you got to get to 85 come the end of August. By the time the season starts, mm -hmm. by the time school starts, you got to get to 85. I did the math, Carlos. You and I did the math here together on air. Uh, well, you, you we did the math, and I just I just watched. You, you just watched me do the math. I, I counted 43 scholarships on offense, three quarterbacks, six running backs, six tight ends, 11 receivers, and 17 offensive linemen. And then I counted 41 on defense, uh, six, uh, 16 defensive linemen, 11 linebackers, nine cornerbacks, five safeties, and then, of course, you have your kicker and your punter that are also on scholarships. When you do that math, it comes out to 86. I've seen some people uh, speculating online that it might be closer to 88. I know Mario Cristobal's uh, nephew, Lou Cristobal, was one of those off-season pickups, but I don't know if Lou is actually paying for a scholarship or or if uh, you know he, he gets the family discount. I don't know how that works. Uh, but ultimately, look, Miami's got to get to 85, so I expect there'll probably be a few more guys that uh, decide to enter the transfer portal here that we'll hear announcements about. It. Last week, I'd heard you might see some among the linebackers. you got 11 linebackers. Only uh, two of them end up playing a whole lot in this, uh, in this defense. So I think ultimately... Uh, you know, you'll probably see some departures there. I wouldn't be surprised if there's an offensive lineman in that group too as well. Miami will get to 85 one way or the other. Mario's, I'm, I'm pretty sure, on top of it. So, uh, But look, let's let's get into a little bit of this roster and some of the pickups from the offseason, Carlos, because um, the last time you and I spoke, we knew Miami needed to go out and get some help at some spots. What were you most concerned about before Miami went shopping during uh, the post-spring? I mean, we had talked about it. I wouldn't say the most concerned, but I think the one uh, position that we discussed that a lot of people were like, why? Why are you concerned about that position? Why you? Why do you want to add somebody else? It didn't really make sense to them. They didn't think Mario would do it. was running back, and they went out and they did it. Because as you know, you're, you're always just one snap away at running back 
from uh, being short on depth. And and we saw that last season and we've seen it the last couple seasons really with guys going down. So the fact that they, they added AJ Allen from uh, Nebraska to, to add an, another body into that running back room, along with the, the freshman recruits and Mark Fletcher and Fletcher and Christopher Johnson uh, it really speaks to me that, that Mario wants to, to have an insurance policy. there of a veteran guy that can come in and play right away and not have to wait on Mark Fletcher to develop or Christopher Johnson to develop, not have to see if Don Chaney Jr. is going to come back healthy or Trevante Citizen and really add depth there. So you're basically counting right away in two veterans and Henry Parrish and a, and a Jay Allen and seeing what the other guys do, whether where they come back from injury uh, or if they're able to grasp a playbook quick enough and get on the field quick enough, which we know Mark Fletcher is really talented. But if you could save him and not have to, to beat him up as a freshman and let him get acclimated and and then really let him springboard into next season, that'd be great if you have enough in front of him. So that, to me, was a great addition. We talked about you know needing help in the secondary. They went out and got that. They held, they got a couple guys in the secondary at corner. Uh, you know, Starting with Jaden Davis with our last podcast that we discussed, they also added Jedi Richard uh, from Vanderbilt, who's a solid corner. Uh, they lost your boy Terry Roberts. Uh, to from from Iowa came in really quick, had a cup of coffee, last of the spring, and got out. He backed it up, backed it up, Terry, and he's out of here. But uh, <laughs> those were concerns. One of the areas that we really wanted to see them address was you know additional depth of linebacker, defensive tackle, and they they added a guy, a couple guys, a defensive tackle. Um, you know, not world beaters, just a little bit more size to add some more depth, which I think I think was necessary. Uh, they uh, they added a, a uh, <laughs> earlier in the transfer portal a 197 year old tight end Cam McCormick to add some uh, <laughs> some blocking depth. I really love the addition, obviously, of the offensive lineman and Matt Lee and JV and Cohen. Those were great additions early in the transfer portal. Um, so they they've kept working, they've kept adding bodies and adding talent. And at the end of the day, even if these guys aren't front line players, they could be rotational guys. And it adds competition. It adds talent to the roster. It it helps build the roster out. Uh, because this roster has been so unbalanced and the depth has been so crazy over the last few years that if someone goes down on that first that first group, you really don't have anybody behind them that you can trust. And then that becomes just a general shit show all the way around. We've seen that a lot. Um, I don't think they're big at the defensive tackle still after these additions. They're going to have to use their quickness like we talked about. They've got two very athletic guys in um, Leonard Taylor and Jared Harrison Hunt there. And the guys behind them are, are not as big also that they're going to have to use their athleticism. They're going to have some really good guys coming off the edge, as we know. Uh, they've upgraded the linebacker position, obviously, with Francis Mamagoa um, and, and, and Nigel e. Kelly. Um, I'm sorry, Wesley Besaint looking to be a starter this year and, and step into that role. And you have Corey Flagg, an experienced guy behind them. Uh, but to me, the one position where I wish they also would have added somebody else to add some depth because of the departures now is safety. Um, I think, you know, obviously they've got two All-American all American caliber safeties, one All-American, another guy has the talent to be an All-American, James Williams, but they don't have much behind them. Uh, you know, I I don't know what that's going to look like moving forward. You've got some inexperienced guys behind those guys. If you have an injury there or you have a guy miss some time like James Williams has in the last couple seasons, it could get a little dicey back there on the back end. Yeah, I mean, I think they like Markeith Williams, uh, who was a freshman last year. He's he's got a, a good body, 6'2", 175. I think he's put on some weight since uh, whatever it is that Miami lists him there at. Um, you know, they've got Brian Balaam, who's been in the program now. This is going on four years. Balaam had entered the portal, came back. Uh, so they've got guys that aren't got bodies, freshmen. Right. right. Uh, the, the guy, though, that I think ultimately down the road that projects really well as Caleb Spencer, who who they kind of picked out of Virginia, the, the true freshman. I watched him out at camp and, and uh, you know, he, to me, he was 
just as impressive physically as James Williams. I mean, not as long, not as tall, but he looked like a, a vulturing type safety who could sprout in the next year or two into a really, you know, big physical uh, guy back there when James Williams leaves. So what, this but, is why you're a, this is why you're a journalist. Your your use of language, vulturing <laughs> and sprouting. You you've hit me with a one two combination there of, of just word smithery. I like it. <laughs> I, I I like the kid. I like the way he looked out there. I thought you know this is uh, this was a good sort of pickup. He was only a three star kid who's ranked in the seven hundreds. I thought okay, this is good work by Miami's uh, recruiting department. Jamila Dye, the, the safeties and and DB coach. Uh, a guy, you know, to be able to recognize somebody in the recruiting process that they liked. And uh, look, I think Jadeus Richards going to help at the cornerback position. Uh, he's a guy who played some at Vanderbilt last year. I know, you know, you say, Miami, why is Miami taking a Vanderbilt guy? Well, he's 6'2", 197, and he's fast. And and he was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. He's got some 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 respect on his name, so to speak. He played in the SEC. And so, I, I I like the take. I mean, uh, Miami's cornerback room to me remains the one area I'm most concerned about going into the season. I know for you it's D-tackle. I don't like the depth of D-tackle. I wish there was more. But cornerback, I want to see who's going to prove it to me, who's going to step up and be a true number one cornerback. That, is, that to yep. me is the weakness of this football team. So, um, But, you know, all in all, I thought Mario did address some needs. We will see going into camp. There will be certainly be some interesting storylines, uh, position by position, uh, and we can talk about it more when we we get to some of our mailbag questions. But Carlos, I, I wanted to get into one of the stories I wrote recently uh, on Tyler Van Dyke. I had a chance during the NBA Finals in June, uh, right right after Miami fell behind three one to Denver. Um, I, I drove Why out. Why do you have to... to open up old wounds, man? <laughs> Why do you have to mention that fact? I apologize. All you had, all you had to say was <laughs> it was during the NBA finals. That was it. That's all I had to say. You're right. I, I well, anyway, I, I went out there that Saturday, um, when Miami, uh, was, was a lot of their guys, uh, Tyler Van Dyke, uh, a lot, I think it was about 12 of the kids represented by Drew Rosenhaus, uh, were doing a football camp up in Vero beach. And I thought, okay, this is the perfect opportunity. I'm going to go up there, get a lot of one-on-ones, get a chance to talk to some of these guys, and that's what happened. I got a chance to talk to Tyler Van Dyke. I spoke with Colby Young, who I think is going to be his number one target this year on the outside and a big part of this Miami offense. Um, I talked to some other guys that were there, Elijah Arroyo, who's coming back from that season-ending injury. Um, uh, Jalen Rivers was there. I mean, there were a lot of, uh, you know, Drew, Drew certainly knows how to pick the best players on the Miami yeah. roster to represent. And so I got a chance to talk with a lot of good ones there. But really, I ended up writing this story on Tyler Van Dyke because, as you remember, Carlos, right after spring football, there was rumors that he might be transferring to Alabama, that he was going to yep. take off and leave. And everybody was panicked. And then all of a sudden, we get a tweet about um, you know him being fully committed to Miami. I just wanted to get the real story. I wanted to kind of know where Tyler's head was at, right? Because it's never a good sign after spring football to have those kind of rumors surface. I came away, and you read the story, I came away feeling like if there was a moment when Tyler was thinking about leaving, it was right after the season when Mario hadn't hired an offensive coordinator, and he was nervous, rightfully so, about what they were going to do with this offense after the mess that Josh Gaddis and that group had created this past season. Uh, but once he went through spring football and had a chance to hang out with Shannon Dawson, his new coordinator, um, and and went bowling with Shannon and, and kind of shot the shit with him, um, I think he realized, hey, man, I like this guy a lot, and I really want to play here. And so while the Alabama stuff I think was true, certainly that they were looking for quarterback help, 
I didn't ever get the sense from from speaking to, to Tyler for half an hour that he ever really was going to do it, that he was going to leave Miami. I think he he was sort of bought in after spring football, um, after what he what he was able to go through. Certainly, I think he put his body on the line for Miami last season, playing yeah. through through a major you know uh, major pain in his shoulder, uh, an AC joint uh, sprain, a grade three sprain. Um, you know, he, he, he tried to tough it out. I, I don't think you can question his heart. I don't think you can question where his mind was. I think he's just trying to make the best decision for himself. And in the end, Miami and, and Mario Cristobal did what they had to do to keep him back when they hired Shannon Dawson. Yeah. And I think it, it speaks a lot to Tyler's character that, you know, although he entertained leaving to Alabama, because obviously, listen, at the end of the day, if you're in an environment that is detrimental to you, uh, to your career, to your health, even because of the way, as we saw, his, his season ended, <clears throat> you're going to explore other opportunities as much as you love where you're at. It's just natural. It's human nature. You've got to look out for yourself because at the end of the day, especially this guy now in college where he's got a short window of trying to make the NFL and make a difference and make a, you know, a life grab a life changing opportunity for him and his family moving forward. He's got to do what's best for him. But at the end of the day, he decided to stay in Miami. He trusted Mario. He trusted the hire in Shannon Dawson. And it, it proved not only through his his desire to get back on the field after his initial injury uh, to get back to Florida and for the Florida State game. Uh, to stay after everything, to hang in here and and decide to be the leader of this football team going forward and trust the process and trust Mario Cristobal, that he is a loyal guy, that he is a leader. Um, and I think that will only help him moving forward in terms of galvanizing the offense and the guys on this team to lead them forward this season. Now, the question becomes is, does the, the, the performance on the field translate as well? Um, I think based on the type of offense that we're going to see, which is very similar, ironically, to what happened with Miami when they had Dan Enos. We're going from one disastrous offense to another sort of run-and-shoot offshoot um, and, and a little bit more free-wielding and open offense after that disaster, which is where Tyler thrives under Rhett Lashley. And I think he's going to be very comfortable in it. And I think the fact that, as we talked about on the transfer portal, not only did we to the Hurricanes add those guys we talked about, they added a couple receivers, right? They added playmakers for Tyler Van Dyke to try and help him um, you know, spread that ball around and, and do what he does best, which is push the ball vertically. So they they landed Tyler Harrell and Shamar Clerk. Tyler Harrell obviously was one of the fastest guys uh, in, in the country out of South Florida when he was coming out of high school. Uh, big playability. Shamar Kirk's supposed to be another big play guy as well. So they've added guys around him that fit Tyler's style, the, the way he plays, the way he likes to play. And I think that's going to help him a lot. So we'll see. We'll see what it ends up being in this, this season. But you know, at the very least, he's got his confidence back, it seems like, because of the offense. Uh, he's seen that they're building, um, you know, some some good talent around him in terms of the offensive skill sets. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and I, I was going to add, I think the other important element to all this is, uh, you know, Shannon Dawson, I think, trusts him to make the kind of plays and decisions at the line of scrimmage that Rhett Lashley uh, used to trust him doing. And that's you know, if it means rerouting a receiver, if Tyler sees something, an opening on the defense because he's sitting there reading the defense and he wants to change a route of one of his outside or inside receivers, he's got the freedom to do that now. If they're in a if they're in a running play and, and he sees, hey, man, the defense is shaded this way. They're all over it. They know what they're doing. He can flip the direction of the running play. He can switch out of it, run a pass play. That's the kind of stuff he wasn't able to do with Josh Gaddis as his coordinator. Now, I will say this. Tyler told me he liked Josh Gaddis a lot, that they got along well. I know there was the rumors out there that maybe he wasn't, you know, they just didn't get along. Tyler liked what he was doing. In fact, if you go back and you look 
at, at Miami's offense in the North Carolina game, the Virginia Tech game, it was obvious uh, at that point uh, before Tyler got hurt that him and Gaddis were on the same page. They were, I mean, he, he had two monster games in the middle of the season. Yeah. And you're like, man, th maybe they finally turned the corner. But unfortunately, Tyler got banged up, ended up missing the Virginia game and, and, and never was himself again the rest of the way. Um, and, and I think ultimately, look, uh, things might have turned out differently for Gaddis and Miami, but the change was needed. The change was made. And now he's got a coordinator who he feels like really trusts him and allows him to be who he was in Rhett Lashley's offense two years ago when he was certainly one of the best quarterbacks in the country. 20 touchdowns, three picks over his last six games, over 300 yards in each of those games. Now, look, I, I, I do want to get into this a little bit, uh, Carlos. Um, I know Miami fans are, are thinking of this air raid offense and they're probably thinking to themselves, man. Uh, it, it, man, you sound like Tyler's going to throw for 300 yards a game now every single game. I don't think that's the case. I think as long as Mario Cristobal is in charge of this football team, they're going to run the football. There's going to be offensive balance. And I think Tyler's okay with that. I think he, he knows he's going to throw the football a lot, but I don't. I didn't get the sense from our conversation that he doesn't want to play in a balanced offense. I think he wants to wants her to be some balance because he certainly he certainly wants to not have everybody coming you know headhunting and trying to exactly. kill him every time he drops back to, to throw a pass not only that but he knows that play action sets up big plays right and and that allows him to read cleaner windows to throw to more open guys and to push the ball down the field like he likes to do so if you've got a running game that, that has to be respected that means the defense has to commit more guys in the box which means there's less guys on the back end to defend so you're going to find more one-on-one -on -one matchups which is what he wants to do and and like you were talking about i think it's it's critical, especially in, in today's game, that the the quarterback is an extension of the offensive coordinator on the field. If the, the quarterback has to understand and know the scheme, not just from an X's and O standpoint, but from a philosoph philosophical standpoint, as well as the offensive coordinator, to be able to get them in the right place and see what the defense does and know how to counter that, and to be have be able to have that freedom. Because at the end of the day, you know, especially if you're up in the booth, um, once you make that play call. It's it's gone and and it's now in the hands of the quarterback. If the quarterback is then it can then adjust that and get you to an even better play based on the defensive look, then at the end of the day you're gonna have more success on offense and you're not gonna have more games like that Virginia game where Miami won uh, three to two on a pass ball in the ninth inning. <laughs> Actually, the eleventh inning. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, uh, the, that was an ugly football game. Um, look, I, I I expect this Miami team to be better. I expect Tyler to put up more numbers. I think that alone will help them get to eight wins, Carlos. Yeah, look, I think 3,200 yards and 30 touchdowns, to me, would be something reasonable. Yeah, I don't think it's out of the ordinary to, to predict something like that for, for Tyler this coming season, if he's healthy and able to play in all uh, you know, 12 regular season games. I will say this. Um, he showed me a shoulder. Okay, he said, come check this out, and there was a bump. And, you know, part of the AC joint sprain, I guess, you know, and he didn't have surgery on it or anything. You end up with that bump there for, for pretty much the rest of your life. And uh, I was like, wow, that's weird. But, you know, I read up on this. A lot of quarterbacks have had AC joint injury. You played the quarterback. But did you ever end up injuring your shoulder when you played? Thank Thankfully, no. No, okay. I've only injured it later on. Not, not AC joint, but a little bit of the rotator cuff as an older guy doing stupid shit. <laughs> All right. Well, thankfully, you didn't end up with that uh, that bump there in the shoulder. But we'll see that with Tyler if he's ever uh, out there shirtless throwing some passes. Yeah, he's, he uh, might end up looking like Quasimodo later on in life. But hey, listen, it was <laughs> worth it early on. <laughs> well, listen, uh, a couple more stories that I worked on. Then we're going to jump into the mailbag. Just wanted to tell you about it. I interviewed Colby Young. I mentioned that I'll have a story on him coming out in the athletic at some point soon. Uh, in addition to my coverage from the ACC kickoff, another story that will be coming out. I know this is a big topic for Miami fans because they're frustrated 
with Miami's uh, position in the ACC grant of rights, the fact that they're locked into this TV deal through 2036, and that financially the Hurricanes are going to fall behind uh, with everybody else in the ACC, behind the SEC and the Big Ten. And so my editors at The Athletic love doing these uh, re- uh, realignment revisited series where they go back and they and they look at some interesting stories from back in the day. Um, one of my editors, uh, Matt Brown, suggested, he says, well, why don't we find out if Miami – really ever had a chance, them in Florida State, if they ever had a chance to uh, to join the SEC. And I told you the other night, Carlos, when you and I were talking off air, said they did. They had an opportunity uh, in 1990. And I think it's a story that most people are unaware of. Um, the SEC, and, and I'll give a brief uh, little synopsis here, and you and I can get into a conversation, but the SEC in 1990, that's when they decided to expand. Believe it or not, it was actually a year earlier, in 89, when the conversation first began. And at that point, in 1989, the SEC was looking to turn into a super conference. The teams that they wanted to add, Miami, who had just won the national title, of course, Florida State, um, South Carolina. Those were going to be their three teams in the East. And then they were going to go out and get Arkansas, Texas, and Texas A&M. Well, guess what? They've got four of the six now. Who are the two yep. that they don't have? Miami and Florida State. And I think back in the late uh, 80s, early 90s, everybody in the, in the country probably would have loved to have Miami and Florida State in their conference because the amount of money and attention they were going to bring. Times have obviously changed. Miami's fallen off from the dominant power they were. Florida State has as well. Yeah, you know, they, and they made the big move of playing in the Big East. Right. Yeah, Miami ultimately ended up picking the Big East. And a lot of that, I think, had to do with basketball. But as I as I came to research, Carlos, and you and, and those of you who are listening to this want to check out the story in the athletic, uh, Miami and the SEC go back to the 1930s. Okay, when the SEC actually began in 1932, Miami was an independent in 1941. They had administrators attending SEC meetings for over 25 years, trying to and Florida was actually trying to help Miami get into the SEC back in the day. So anyway, I thought it was a fascinating sort of research project for me. You know, I told you how much I love doing those in the offseason, but to read some of those stories. And in the end, Carlos, just to make a long story short, Florida State was the team that the SEC really prioritized in 1990. That's who they wanted to come join. And Florida State ultimately gave the SEC double middle fingers uh, because the ACC came along with their great basketball conference and their academic connections and ultimately con- uh, convinced uh, the Seminoles that the best place for them was the ACC. The only- ACC only took one team then. Bobby Bowden actually fought for Miami to get in the ACC, uh, and the ACC didn't want to take Miami. They weren't interested. They only wanted to expand by one. Miami, of course, eventually ended up in the ACC, but uh, interesting history lesson. And uh, I guess my question to you after all of that spiel, Carlos, is did you think Miami made a mistake by going to the Big East and not the well, SEC no. then? This this sort of reminds <laughs> me of uh, if you've ever heard of the story of the lost <laughs> Superman movie. Yes. Have you heard about it where Nicolas Cage was going to play Superman? Okay. And, and Tim Burton was going to be the director. So this is the, they had even done like screen testing like a, of Nicolas Cage in a Superman costume that was so weird. And he had the long mullet Nicolas Cage type, type hair and like uh, the rock. It was it was weird, man. And that was a Superman movie that they were planning on making, and it just didn't come to fruition. What would have been if Superman had Nicolas Cage played him? Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, you think they made the wrong decision? <laughs> I mean, you think going with the Big East and playing the likes of Rutgers and uh, everybody else that, that they were playing during that time period was, was a bad choice over taking the SEC? I think at the end of the day, you know, 
maybe being in the Big East allowed Miami a little bit more flexibility in terms of their schedule. Um, because you know how it is with the SEC, you're probably going to have one or two non-conference games that you could schedule in there. They're going to have to both be probably cream puffs just because your schedule is so tough. So I think Miami wanted a little bit more flexibility, and that might have maybe – it would have reduced their real, really their, their non-conference schedule to one game because it would have added Florida State uh, yep. to keep the rivalry going. And, and it just probably wasn't enough in terms of flexibility, and, and apparently to them – the SEC wasn't a good enough basketball conference. They prefer the Big East. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you had teams like um, Kentucky winning national championships in the SEC. You had Florida having a great run in the SEC in basketball. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it is what it is. But, uh, you know, maybe hopefully the door swings back open again one more time, and this time Miami doesn't uh, doesn't shun the SEC for another crappy conference. Yeah, it might not be to the 100-year anniversary of Miami first trying to get in the SEC in 19 uh, in the mid-1930s. Hey, man, but, uh, there's always hope. You never know. You never know. I think the Big Ten is where Miami will end up eventually. All right, Carlos, um, let's talk about the mailbag. Let's get into it. There's just a few questions, and then we're going to wrap this puppy up. I appreciate you doing this with me. But the reality is the news will pick up starting next week when we've got some uh, media availability. We've got some practices Everything will pick up. We'll have much more here on Wide Right. But let's get into the mailbag. The first question comes from Sam Knowlton. What's the status of Trevante Citizen? Running back seems to be the most injured position in football, so I'm concerned with depth in that room after a few weeks. All right, Sam, here's what I, I know about Trevante Citizen. What I've said on this podcast before, I've been told that there was a very good likelihood that he could end up missing two seasons because of this knee injury and how serious it was. Uh, remember, he was injured in fall camp a year ago. So his body is just beginning to get around to that full year post uh, major knee injury. Um, so he may be delayed at the start of camp. Now, I know there's been other reports out there. Somebody else called out to me recently and said, I'm hearing Citizen is good. He's going to be ready to go. Look, the bottom line is information is scarce. Uh, Miami will, we will see whether or not Trevante citizen is out there for the first practice. But if you ask me based on the conversations I had in the past, I'm not expecting him to be ready for the start of fall camp. In fact, I would expect Miami to, to kind of care for him and kid with kid gloves. And the fact that they went out and got AJ Allen, exactly. as, as we talked about earlier to me, tells me that Mario obviously feels like running back depth needed a boost. They got six scholarship guys now. So I wouldn't be surprised if they bring back citizen very slow when he's ready to come back. Um, all right. This is another question. And, and Carlos, you can jump in on this one from David Hernandez. Which transfer edition are you excited to see come camp? Um, you know what? Because they're more recent, I'd like to see what Tyler Harrell and Shamar Kirk, uh, Kirk bring to the table. If they can give uh, Miami and give Tyler Van Dyke that additional guy on the outside that can burn, that could get deep, that can make catches on a consistent basis, whether it be down the field or underneath and make plays uh, in open spaces to give that compliment to Colby Young, which I think they need. I think that's what they're really lacking is that other guy opposite Colby Young that can burn, that can make plays, but also make the simple plays and be consistent with with making catches, um, which they haven't had. And, you know, Jacoby George has flashed, like we said, but he's been inconsistent catching the football. Isaiah Horton uh, didn't pan out last year. He didn't get a chance to get on the field. Maybe that changes this year. We'll see, but at least they've added two additional guys that are playmakers that'll compete for that additional outside spot. You've already got Xavier Restrepo and Ray Ray Joseph in the slot, along with Rashard Smith. So you've got guys that can make plays in the other spots, but you need that that additional receiver on the other end. A guy that you could put 
you know, off the line of scrimmage, put in motion, uh, move them around the field and, and get big plays out of that. You know, it's similar to what North Carolina did for a couple of years with Josh Downs. Yeah, I, I think if Harold is healthy, and, and I asked Tyler about him in our conversation, he mentioned there's no doubt he's the fastest guy on the team. I said, how's his health? He says he's been great all summer. So hopefully that's an encouraging sign. The main injury with Harold has been a foot injury. That's what's kind of slowed his entire career down. You know, those things are terrible, especially for receivers. Once they injure their foot, their feet, it's always susceptible to a setback. Hopefully this is the year Tyler's healthy and he's able to help Miami win some games. For me, I'm going to go on the flip side. I'm going to go defense and I'm going to bring back the cornerback position. Uh, to me, I want to see um, Jadeus Richard and I want to see Jaden Davis. Jaden Davis is very experienced, played a whole lot in the Big 12, didn't necessarily play great at Oklahoma. He didn't have great PFF numbers, if that matters to you, but he has a ton of experience. He's played a ton in the Big 12 against a lot of passing offenses. I think he's going to be really valuable. He's a guy who can play in the slot. I got a chance to talk to his father at Legends Camp. His father was a coach for Lauderdale Dillard, coached in the city for a while, played uh, college uh, ball and pro ball as well. Uh, so he comes from good roots. Jaden's a smart kid. I think he's going to come in here and be one of the leaders. I think he'll probably start. Uh, but we'll see how he does. And then Jadeus Richard, to me, is the talent. He's 6'2", 197, has the size, has the length, obviously went to Vanderbilt, so he has to be smart. I want to see if those guys can really emerge and be the kind of players that Miami needs at that cornerback position. So to me, that's the spot I will be fixated on as far as when camp begins. All right. At least if they're solid, right? If they're so if they're good, if they're average mm -hmm. or just slightly above average, you've got enough on the back end with the two safeties to make up for it. Yeah. All right. Which team on Miami's schedule has improved the most since last season? This question is from David Hernandez. All right. Um, this is a tough question to answer because we're measuring improvement based on what they were a year ago. Um, I know from the research that I have done, and I, and I got to admit, I haven't sat here and broken down every single roster of every Miami opponent, been busy working on stories and different things. Um, but I will say I think it's either Texas A&M or Florida State. I think it's either one of those two teams. Those are in my two, yeah. Uh, I, I think Florida State, from a from a depth pers uh, perspective, I just finished breaking down their entire roster so I can speak intelligent, intelligently about the Seminoles. Upgraded at wide receiver, I think they're probably the deepest team Miami will face at defensive tackle, and that's saying something considering how good Clemson's defensive line has been over the years. Um, I think uh, they have one of the most experienced quarterbacks in the country back in Jordan Travis, who's a nightmare. He's kind of a, D a Derek King to me, the way he kind of plays the game. Well, um, and, and not only that, but he's been able to, he's improved as a passer to my, at, at Miami's expense um, yeah. over the last couple of years and can now really throw the deep ball. If he's, if he continues to evolve as a passer, it's going to be ugly. And then I, I would say Texas A&M is the other because obviously Jimbo Fisher made some changes. He's no longer calling plays. Um, and, and I would say that in itself, uh, Texas A&M has a boatload of talent. Okay. I know some kids transferred out. I know that there were some players that they had to kind of get rid of that roster is still super loaded, especially on the defensive line. Uh, a lot of those kids are a year older. Now Miami faced a very young Texas A&M defensive line last year. These kids are going to be bigger. They're going to be stronger. Uh, that to me poses a huge problem for Miami week two. Uh, and I also like their quarterback. They've got a good roster on offense. They've got a playmaker, wide receiver. They've got some fast running backs. I and think Bobby Petrino can call plays. Bobby Petrino is one of the best in the business uh, at doing it. So to me, 
I would say Florida State and Texas A&M. I don't know that Clemson's improved that much. In fact, I would venture to say maybe they're a little worse. They've got a, a young, young, young quarterback who didn't look very good in the Orange Bowl game. Um, I'm not saying Clemson is beatable. I still think they're better than Miami. But I would say they haven't improved a ton compared to Florida State and Texas A&M, who I think will be uh, improved teams than they were a year ago. Yeah, I agree. And and uh, I don't know about improved, but I mean, another team you got to look at on the Ross on the schedule that's going to be dangerous just because of their quarterback is North Carolina. Drake yeah. May is a stud. And and you're going into North Carolina playing against that guy again one year after having the season he had. You know he's going to be better this year than he was the year before. So it's it's going to be tough to beat Carolina. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and Mac Brown has Miami's number. He just yep. does. He knows how to beat him. New offensive coordinator, though. So we will see how that works out for him. Yeah. This time around, Carlos, thanks for coming on. Uh, those of you who watch this here on YouTube, you can also listen to uh, the download the podcast wherever you download the podcast. Uh, we will be back with more coverage of Miami again. Uh, fall practice starts August 1st. Uh, media day in Charlotte next week on Tuesday. The Canes will be talking Tuesday, uh, July 25th. I will be there to cover it all. Uh, make sure you read The Athletic. Subscribe to The Athletic if you can. That helps me out. And make sure you check out Carlos's podcast, the MIA All Day Pod. When was the last time you uh, potted, my brother? I, I can't believe you're throwing me under the bus like this. Uh, it's been a while <laughs> myself also. But uh, I'm going to start doing more stuff now that the season's coming along. Okay. One of the things I wanted to do is is do a schedule breakdown, uh, look at the opponents, see, you know, talk about their best players, what I think is going to happen more or less, uh, and go from there. All right. Well, make sure you uh, follow Carlos at MIA All uh, MIA. Go ahead, you give it. Well, you my the one I usually use the most is my personal one. It's L E it's E L Ledo L E D O one three zero seven, and uh, also at M I A all day pop. There you go. Make sure you check out both of those on social media. Follow Carlos, uh, and make sure to stay with us here at the Wide Ride Podcast. Subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be back with more coverage soon. Peace.